for another day in the house of the Lord, and it's a beautiful, beautiful Sunday in Texas, and we're just delighted to be here and uh, to be with you all this morning. Uh, this morning, we're going to be continuing our study, of course, in the Sermon on the Mount, and this week, we're going to be talking about the two trees, uh, Matthew chapter 17, verses 15 uh, through 20. So uh, before we get into the word, let's go to the Lord and ask for help. Lord God, we thank you for this beautiful morning, and Lord, we thank you for the service of uh, so many people here who uh, make this church uh, what it is, Lord, uh, through the Sunday school and preparing all that we uh, do this morning so that there can be food and there can be coffee, and uh, Lord, the volunteers that we have here, Lord, we just have a great church, and we're just thank you, thankful for this body. And Lord, as we study our passage this morning, help us to realize that there are false teachers in the world, there are false prophets, Lord, help us to be aware Help us to be mindful of who they are, Lord. Help us to stay away from them. Lord, we thank you for your word and for what it teaches us, and we just ask your blessings on it this morning. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Uh, you may have heard the phrase, the fruit of the poisonous tree. Uh, that's a legal metaphor uh, that we uh, use in the law. Back when I say we, when I used to be in the law, I'm not in the law anymore, praise the Lord. Uh, but when I was, uh, we used this, this phrase called uh, the fruit of the poisonous tree. And it's a legal metaphor that is used to describe uh, evidence that comes from uh, illegal searches and seizures or, or whatnot in terms of uh, how it may be obtained. So uh, usually it's a metaphor having to do with when the police illegally obtain evidence in some way, well, the evidence that's obtained is not allowed to be used. So let me give you a couple of examples. Uh, let's say your neighbor gets arrested for uh, whatever it may be, and, and he uh, is going to be taken to the police station, and the police fail to read him his Miranda warnings, right? He's got the right to remain silent. He's got the right to a lawyer. Well, if they don't read those rights to him, and then they start to question him at the police station, and he confesses to the crime, well, uh, that confession is going to be inadmissible at court because if the arrest and the questioning was unconstitutional because they didn't read him his Miranda warning, so the tree is unconstitutional, then the fruit of that confession uh, is going to be inadmissible as well. Uh, let me give you another example. Uh, the U.S. Constitution protects us from illegal searches and seizures. Uh, so that means if the police suspect uh, you have a crime, they have to get a search warrant if they want to investigate your house or if they want to perhaps wiretap your phones or something like that. So let's uh, suppose that the police suspect your neighbor of being a drug dealer, uh, but they uh, skip the very important step of going to the judge, getting a warrant so that they can wiretap his phones to find out uh, whether or not that happens to be true. Well, they do tap his phones, they listen, and they find out through listening to his phone conversations that he is, in fact, a drug dealer. And they arrest him, and they want to use those wiretap conversations as evidence against him in court. Well, because they didn't get a search warrant, uh, the tree, which is these illegal, the illegal wiretap, uh, that's illegal. Then the fruit of that wiretap, which is the uh, phone calls that could be used as evidence, are also unconstitutional and inadmissible in court. So in order to have good fruit, you have to have a good root. Uh, and that's what Jesus was teaching in this passage here, in these verses, as we come to this discussion about two trees. Uh, remember that Jesus had just cautioned these people that he was teaching that there is uh, a narrow gate that leads to a narrow road that leads to life, and few will find it. 
And there's also a broad gate that leads to a broad road that leads to, discussion, uh, to destruction, and many will find it. And so uh, there are many ways that we can miss that narrow gate. And one way is just to find ourselves on the broad road, never having made an intentional decision to get through that narrow gate, to walk the narrow road uh, that leads to life. So that's one way that we can miss uh, eternity. And another way that we can miss eternity is what Jesus was teaching about in this passage, and that is to fall victim to false teachers who will lead us away from that narrow gate and keep us on the broad road. So we have to learn this week the importance of distinguishing between true prophets and false prophets, the true prophets who would lead us to the narrow gate, the false prophets who would lead us to the broad gate and on to destruction. False prophets bear poisonous fruit, and if we follow them, we're going to eat that poisonous fruit, and we are going to be led to destruction. And sometimes it can be hard to tell the difference, right? It's hard to tell the difference sometimes between a false prophet and a true prophet. Sometimes uh, the, 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 the teaching of a false prophet is so slightly different than the truth uh, that it may be hard to discern sometimes, and we won't know it and recognize it until we get further down the road uh, following that teaching. And other times, uh, false prophets come and they sound really good in the beginning, and then all of a sudden they start driving their own agenda. Uh, and so we have to watch out for those things too, uh, because sometimes people intentionally deceive uh, for their own gain. And so we have to test the fruit to know that the root is good. So uh, let's look then at verse 15 to begin. And we'll see first that there are false prophets. There is such a thing. So beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ravenous wolves. So let's talk just for a second about the role of prophets, right? We understand uh, from reading the Bible that uh, prophet is used in a couple of different ways. And uh, most familiarly probably to us is the idea that they are used to prophesy, predict the future, right? They are foretelling what is going to happen in the future. And we're very familiar with those. Uh, we could list them all off from the Old Testament. We could talk about Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, and on down the line through uh, the minor prophets. Uh, we have that kind of, of teaching throughout the Old Testament. And uh, they're doing one of the roles of a prophet. They're foretelling the future, and they're also warning people to repent of their sins because judgment is coming, and this is what will happen if you don't repent of your sins. So we have that kind of being a prophet, but there's also a more general sense of being a prophet, uh, being a prophet in the sense of just declaring God's truth. Uh, that is also a prophet. So in that way, uh, Abraham was called a prophet of God. And Aaron was called a prophet of God in Exodus 7.1 when uh, Moses said he was too slow of speech uh, to speak to Pharaoh. God said, well, I'll give you Aaron. And Aaron was called a prophet in that sense because he's speaking as God's mouthpiece. And so uh, when Jesus was talking about false prophets here, I think he's talking about them in a more general sense than what we would think of as uh, foretelling prophecy in the sense of an Isaiah or an Ezekiel or a Jeremiah. He's talking about anybody who would speak or be God's spokesperson. A prophet tells the truth about God, whether in uh, Old Testament times or in Jesus's time or even in our time. That's the sense of the way he's using uh, that word. So there is such a thing as false prophets, and uh, they're warned about throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. There are people who claim to speak for God, but don't. They don't have God's authority. They don't have his stamp of approval. They're not telling the truth that God authorized them to tell. 
So in the context of the Sermon on the Mount, which we've been studying for the past six months or so, uh, we understand that Jesus had been correcting the teaching of the scribes and Pharisees uh, to the general population. Uh, and so uh, he's probably talking about the scribes and Pharisees here when he's t warning them about false prophets because they claimed to be telling the truth about God, but they were actually leading people away from God. And uh, unfortunately, they had a very large following. These were the educated. These were the admired. These were the people that everybody aspired to be. Uh, and so they had a whole lot of followers. But Jesus came to correct all that they taught, and, and we'll recall that the entire message of, of the Sermon on the Mount so far has been be different, right? Be different than the scribes and Pharisees. Uh, they have said this, but I say to you over and over again, Jesus says uh, in the Sermon on the Mount. And so their teaching was wrong at every turn, and he came to correct everything that they had taught uh, and to move them back on the path toward the narrow gate. And so uh, Jesus saved his most, scathe, his most scathing comments, as we know, uh, for the scribes and Pharisees because they were false teachers, because they were leading people away from the narrow gate that leads to salvation. And they presumed to speak for God without God's authority. And so uh, I just want us to take a look at this teaching of uh, Jesus later on in Matthew, in Matthew chapter 23. This is what he said about the scribes and Pharisees. Then Jesus spoke to the crowds and said to his disciples, saying, the scribes and Pharisees have seated themselves in the chair of Moses. You see that, how they're taking over uh, Moses' role of prophecy and presuming to speak for God. Therefore, all that they tell you to do, do and observe, but do not do according to their deeds, for they say things and they do not do them. They tie up heavy burdens and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are unwilling to move them with so much as a finger." But they do all their deeds to be noticed by men, for they broaden the, their phylacteries and lengthen the tassels of their garments. They love the place of honor at banquets and the chief seats in the synagogues and respectful greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by men. So those are just many of the characteristics that you would find in a false prophet. And then uh, Jesus went on to pronounce eight woes against the scribes and Pharisees after that. Uh, the most serious one uh, being in verse 33 where he says, You serpents, you brood of vipers, how will you escape the sentence of hell? Uh, very, very harsh words for the scribes and Pharisees. So uh, we have to realize that in our day, false prophets exist just like they existed in Jesus's day. And like the scribes and Pharisees, our false teachers will lead us astray as well. Well, one of the things about these false prophets is that, that makes them so dangerous is not that they exist. Uh, we know that lions exist and they're very dangerous. We just don't go where they are, right? Because if we go to their habitat, they're going to eat us. So we stay away from them. And so we want to do the same with false prophets. But uh, the problem is, is that they disguise themselves so that we won't recognize them, right? And they do that to intentionally deceive people. So they are wolves, but they're dressed in sheep's clothing. Uh, so they look harmless. They even look attractive sometimes, but really they are deadly. They're deadly if we follow them. No one fears sheep, right? A sheep can't do anything to you, but a wolf and a pack of wolves can certainly do something to you. If you were to come across a pack of wolves in their own habitat, they would tear us to shreds and they would devour us. 
Uh, and so the metaphor of, of wolves in sheep's clothing and wolves as false teachers uh, runs throughout the scripture. We can find examples of it. And so I'll give you just a couple from the Old Testament. In Ezekiel, uh, he uses the word princes to speak of prophets. He says, her princes within her are like wolves tearing the, the prey by shedding blood and destroying lives in order to get dishonest gain. And Zephaniah 3.3 uses the same metaphor of princes within her as roaring lions. Her judges are wolves at evening. They leave nothing for the morning. So we have this idea that there are wolves even among the sheep and they will tear them apart if we're not careful. Well, what motivates a wolf's behavior? A wolf is a wild animal, right? It cares nothing about the sheep. All it cares about is satisfying its own hunger, its own appetite. And so it will kill and eat as many sheep uh, as it can uh, without compassion, without any thought about it. This is what they do. They eat to satisfy their appetites. And a false prophet is like a wolf. A false prophet comes in not caring for the sheep. He's only there to satisfy his own appetites and to fill whatever craving it is uh, that he wants to fill. And so this can take many different forms, right? False prophets can take many forms. Uh, sometimes a false prophet wants to get rich or famous by peddling uh, the word of God to make a buck. Uh, he'll compromise the word of God and, and he'll uh, make it more appealing to a broader audience so that more people will find what he has to say attractive. And he'll tickle people's ears, as Paul took, uh, put it, uh, giving them a message that uh, will make them happy uh, and make them uh, feel good about themselves. And sometimes uh, we can look at prosperity gospel preachers as an example, right? They have this message that God wants you to be healthy and he wants you to be wealthy and uh, if you want to sell a lot of books and you're a charismatic speaker, uh, you can go a long way preaching that message because that is a message that people want to hear. Uh, that's the message that tickles their ears. They don't want to be told of their sin or their need to repent, uh, but they want to be told that God wants you to be healthy and wealthy and people will follow that guy and buy his books all day long because that is a happy message. So that's one way a false prophet might appear. Uh, sometimes a false prophet uses his platform to push uh, political or social ideas. Uh, there are many churches, as you know, uh, that are gathering right now on Sunday morning, right? But they are not cracking the Bible, right? They're not reading from the Bible. Uh, they have other ideas about what a church should be. And so uh, the preacher may stand up and give opinion, editorial commentary about uh, what's wrong with the world and what we need to do to fix it. Uh, we hear about those kinds of things all the time. And so uh, that's typically called the social gospel movement, which uh, started in the late 1800s, but still exists even today. Uh, you can find the social gospel movement all around. And a preacher stand up and they preach about the ills of poverty and slums and poor nutrition and bad education, alcoholism, crime, war, and all of those things. And don't get me wrong, uh, we as Christians should be very, very concerned about all of those things. Uh, but that can't be the extent of what we preach because uh, when all we're trying to do is to fix social ills, we may satisfy somebody's hunger for a day, but the gospel is never preached. They never hear the good news of Jesus Christ and why he came and how their souls can be saved. So to satisfy someone's hunger for a day without worrying about saving their souls uh, is a false gospel. Uh, it's false prophecy. And if we follow teachers like that who only have the social gospel in mind, uh, while we may do a little bit of, of earthly temporal good, uh, souls are going to perish. 
And then there's this new wave of liberal churches that take social issues further than ever before, uh, as we know, and they espouse the need for equality, which is a code word for a tolerance and accept acceptance of the LGBT movement and gender neutrality and fluidity uh, and uh, women's re reproductive health rights, which is a code word for abortion, of course, uh, and many other social issues. This is what they are preaching about on Sunday mornings, and uh, we see it all the time. Uh, we happened to be in Austin last week, and we saw a church that had these rainbow flags right out on the street and said, uh, you are welcome here, and, and that's great. You know, we want people to be welcome in church, but we can't uh, welcome them at the expense of overlooking sin, right? We have to call sin what it is, and we have to be willing to say, you are welcome here, uh, but we are not here to celebrate sin. We're here to acknowledge sin and deal with it, repent of it, and accept the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior. So we need to be aware of people who are there just to preach social issues. They, too, are wolves in sheep's clothing. So we think about that and, and uh, what we come out with, what, what we're left with is people who will preach the gospel and tell us the truth about Jesus Christ and tell us the truth about our sin, tell us the truth that we need to hear, not just uh, things that we want to hear. So we ask then, where do these false prophets come from? As we look at our verse, uh, notice first that God doesn't send them, right? In all the prophets of the Old Testament, when we read about them, it says, God, the word of the Lord came to Isaiah saying, or something like that, to all the prophets. But here, it doesn't say that. In Jesus' metaphor, he said that the false prophets, these wolves, will come to us. So that's one way to be able to tell, because they're coming to us without God having sent them. We see uh, from our study in Acts that we did a few months ago, uh, Paul talked about where these false prophets come from. He says, I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. So in that sense, we're talking about people who are coming in from the outside. But then in verse 30, and from among your own selves, men will arise, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. And so we see then the rise of false prophets from within the church. And it's very scary that people can come to us from outside the church, but it's not unexpected. Uh, but the thing that should be scary is that they will arise from within the church, from among our own number, and they'll start to teach false truths and steer people toward the uh, broad road that leads to destruction. And so that's why it's so important to know a teacher or a preacher before you commit to following them or, or to submit to their teaching. You know, when, when y'all were uh, making the decision to call me as your pastor here, that process took like seven, eight months or something like that. And, and that's short. You, you need to really get to know somebody before you are willing to trust them to, to preach to the congregation that you are entrusting them with. And uh, so we, we have to watch those things. But it, it would be really hard to tell a false teacher uh, from a true teacher if Jesus didn't give us a test, right? And so Jesus gives us a test about how we can know the false prophet from the true prophet. Uh, he didn't only say beware, but he said uh, this test that he gave them in verses 16 to 18. So let's look at that. He said, you will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? So every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. So the first thing we need to see there is that their appearance is the same, right? Good and, and uh, false prophets look the same. 
Uh, I have this warning that I've said to my kids since they were old enough to hear it and walk out the door by themselves. I used to say, keep your head on a swivel. Always keep your head on a swivel. And that means always be aware. Be looking around. Don't walk with your head down. Uh, we don't know where danger is coming from, and it can happen at any time in an instant. So keep your head on a swivel. Be alert. Uh, the reason is that people who shoot up schools look exactly like people who don't shoot up schools, right? And uh, sex traffickers wear three-piece suits. Uh, it's not like the old westerns where the good guys wore white and the bad guys wore black and you can tell who's who. Uh, you have to be very discerning because false prophets look just like everyone else. Now, I consider it an incredible honor that you come and you listen to me uh, every week. And I know that you are very discerning and biblically literate people. Uh, and so you're not going to let me get away with anything up here. And that's a good thing. I'm glad for that. Uh, so, you know, I've been here a little over two years now. And uh, maybe some of you might be tempted to let uh, your guard down. You know, he seems to preach from the Bible every week. He seems to have pretty good applications sometimes. And, uh, you know, I don't really have to worry about him so much anymore. Well, I really hope that that never happens. I really hope that every week you test my words and test what I have to say and compare them against the Bible to see if they are sound. Because a wolf in disguise, uh, if he's going to come to you preaching heresy, he doesn't preach it on the first Sunday, right? He doesn't come in here and start uh, turning the Bible on its head. It happens slowly over time. He starts to turn a little bit off the path, and then uh, you find yourself far down the road uh, in the distant future. A false prophet is going to establish trust first. He's going to get you to trust him and then get you to like him. And then slowly but surely, you'll notice that he's going to start pushing his own agenda and move the body in a direction where the body does not want to go. And they may not even, noticing, may not even notice that they are going there. And so test me every week to see what I say. Uh, test the, the books that you read. Test the, the uh, radio preachers that you listen to. Test them all every week to see that what they say agrees with Scripture. Keep your head on a swivel. Be alert. You too can be led down the wrong path if you're not careful. Uh, it takes time for a bad tree to bear bad fruit, and sometimes it takes time for a false prophet to show his true colors. So be aware. But the good news is that false prophets will eventually be revealed. They ultimately have to show their true colors. Uh, William Barclay, in his commentary on this passage, said this. He said, There was a certain thorn called the buckthorn, which had little black berries that closely resembled little grapes. There was a certain thistle that produced a certain flower that from a distance might well be taken for a fig. The point is that there might be a superficial resemblance between the true and false prophet, but you cannot sustain life with the berries of a buckthorn or the flowers of a thistle, and the life of a soul can never be sustained with the food that a false prophet offers. And so the point there is that uh, sometimes it takes a while, you understand, to, to see that the fruit is bad. A buckthorn and a grape look just the same when they're in their infancy, but when, they are, when they're more mature, you can tell that there's a difference. And so uh, sometimes it's hard to tell the bad fruit from the good fruit. We can even mistake the bad fruit uh, for good fruit if we don't give it time uh, to develop and to mature and to ripen. And so we have to be careful that good fruit is being produced by the teacher. And we can only do it by testing it over time. So if the fruit is good, the root will also be good. Uh, like can only produce like. We read about that in the Old Testament, especially in Genesis in the creation account. 
over and over again, we read, uh, and the plants and the animals reproduced after their own kind, right? And so that's what we see from true and false prophets. Now, this is not a sermon on evolution, but it could be, right? Uh, ducks don't produce dogs, and monkeys don't produce men, and grapes don't grow from thorn bushes, and figs don't grow from thistles, and false prophets uh, will not come uh, from a bad tree, and good prophets will not come, uh, sorry, good prophets will not come from a bad tree. So we have to be aware of, of a test that we can do. Uh, how can we test our prophets? How can we test our teachers? I think there are at least three things that we can look at. Uh, and one of the ways that we can test a, a false prophet and a true prophet is to test uh, their conduct, test the way that they live. See if their walk matches their talk. Do they map model what Jesus taught? Uh, are they poor in spirit? Are they mourning their sin? Are they meek? Do they hunger and thirst for righteousness? Uh, are they merciful? Are they pure in spirit? Are they peacemakers? Are they salt and light in the world? Uh, are they uh, unchanged, though, by the word of God? It could be that. They could be proud. They could be arrogant. You can see the difference. Are they teachable? Are they humble? Do they care for the people that God has entrusted to them? Or do they preach one way and live another? Uh, a preacher should be changed by his own teaching, right? If a, if a preacher is preaching and, and he doesn't even develop uh, in his own spiritual life, well, that's one failing as well. Uh, so I want you to see that uh, there is this verse in Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 14. We're going to look at the first half of this verse. We're going to come back to the second half of the verse in a minute. Uh, this is about a false preacher's conduct. Also among the prophets of Jerusalem, I have seen a horrible thing, the committing of adultery and walking in falsehood. So uh, he's a prophet, right? Among the prophets of Jerusalem, and then he's committing adultery and walking in falsehood. So what you have is a walk that is incongruent uh, with the office and with the role of a prophet, which is speaking the truth for God. Now, we have to be careful because this doesn't mean that a true prophet can never sin, right? We're all going to sin. A true prophet is going to sin. I sin. I know you all sin. If you say you haven't sinned, well, that's a sin. So uh, we all sin. Uh, it's impossible. So we have to be careful not to judge harsh, harshly, not to judge prematurely, or by one mistake, unless it's a really, really bad mistake. And we know some who have made those mistakes. So we do have to be careful. Uh, but we don't have license to judge each other self-righteously about the things that uh, the Bible has not expressly uh, prohibited or permitted. And so we've learned about that in the past few weeks. Judge not, lest you be judged. Uh, but judging a prophet's life, uh, you can do that over time if you see that they're leading a life that is not congruent uh, with the words that they preach. And so a false prophet's fruit is walking in falsehood, and we have to be able to recognize it. So their conduct. Another thing is the content of their preaching. Do they proclaim that Christ died? Uh, or, or are they uplifting themselves, raising themselves up, looking for the praise and honor of men? Uh, is the gospel clearly preached? Are they standing up and saying, Jesus Christ died for our sins and rose from the dead uh, so that we can have eternal life? Uh, are people exhorted to repent of their sins and come back into fellowship with Christ and trust him alone for their salvation? Or on the other hand, is their teaching divisive? Are they, are they gossiping 
behind people's backs? Are they starting rumors? Are they creating division over theological issues that are not related to salvation or doing other things to split up the flock? Is there power struggles or or whatever else, division between the preacher and the elders? Uh, These are all things that we can look for uh, to test uh, the way that uh, a, a true prophet is living. And the biggest one, of course, is are they teaching another way to get to heaven other than through Jesus. So we have to watch <clears throat> the content of their teaching. Uh, John put it this way in First uh, John, John chapter 4. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. But by this, you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, of which you have heard that is coming and is now already in the world. So the test is really simple, right? If he proclaims God, if he proclaims Jesus is the Christ, he is from God. And if he doesn't, well, he's not. He's an Antichrist. So true teaching exalts Christ. False teaching exalts self and fractures the body of Christ. So you have the conduct, the content, and also the consequences, uh, the influence that a preacher or a pastor is having. Uh, So are the people growing in Christ? Are they yearning to know his word, to be more like him, to walk in the truth uh, of the gospel? Do they long for the day when they see him face to face? And are they not worried about that, saying, oh, I've done this and that? No, we've accepted Jesus Christ as our savior and our sins are covered. Is that being taught? Uh, Or are people believing something else because sin is tolerated, accepted, and perhaps even celebrated? So we read the first half of Jeremiah 23, 14. I want us to look at the second half of the verse because here we see sin celebrated by the people who are supposed to be their leaders. They strengthen the hands of evildoers so that no one has turned back from his wickedness. All of them have become to me like Sodom and her inhabitants like Gomorrah. So what we have here is like the Romans one people, right? Who uh, not only sin themselves, but they celebrate others who are engaging in that same sin. And so we see this, the consequences of a teacher. If he's not teaching truth, is going to lead people astray and he's going to not only sin himself, but celebrate and accept other people's sin. Well, we also have to be careful though about this kind of judgment, right? Because it's not the pastor's uh, responsibility to make people believe, right? People are responsible for their own decision about whether they're going to believe or not. Uh, Noah preached for 120 years and didn't make a single convert, right? Uh, Isaiah was called to preach to a people who God told him were not going to believe and they were not going to hear his message. So it's not that the people don't believe that makes a false teacher false. It's that the teacher is teaching falsehood that makes a teacher false. So what we see is that a, a, a prophet's fruit is his conduct, his content, the content of his preaching, and the consequences of his preaching. Uh, so just think about some of the false prophets who have gone before. Uh, when we think back over history, uh, not only to their, uh, to their earthly doom, but also to their eternal doom. Uh, you remember uh, the Jim Jones cult, right? That uh, they went to Guyana and 900 people uh, either were killed or committed suicide following this false teacher. And a third of those were children. 
uh, David Koresh and the Branch Davidians we know about, uh, uh, Joseph Smith who started the Mormon Church, uh, Mary Baker Eddy who started the Christian Science Movement, William Miller and Ellen G. White who started the Seventh-day Adventist Movement, Charles, T Charles Taze Russell, the organizer of Jehovah's Witnesses. Uh, these are all false prophets and we shouldn't be surprised that they come to us uh, in human form because the Bible says that even Satan masquerades as an angel of light. And so we have to be careful. And that's why Jesus' message is to beware. Now remember what we've been saying <clears throat> is that Jesus was trying to warn people about getting on the wrong road that leads to destruction. And so uh, he wants us to get on the narrow gate that leads to life because false prophets lead people away. They lead people to destruction. And so we have to test them by their fruit before we submit to their authority, before uh, we will see if they are true or false prophets. Now, uh, we can look now at verses 19 to 20 and see what happens uh, to these false prophets and to us if we follow them uh, blindly. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then you will know them by their fruits. So the warning, every tree that does not bear good fruit and is thrown into the fire is a metaphor for judgment, right? We understand that. Uh, but we have to notice that it's not limited to false teachers, right? Every tree that does not bear good fruit includes people who follow them, right? If we follow them and we proclaim certain things or we act certain way, uh, do certain things, but we have not found the narrow gate because we followed false teachers, well, we are part of the every tree. So it includes the false teachers, but it also includes everybody who misses that narrow gate. And if we don't bear fruit, then that shows that we don't have a good root. And that means that we will be judged by God. Now, we have to understand, of course, that it's not the good fruit that saves us, right? This is not preaching a salvation by works. The good fruit is only evidence of salvation, that the good fruit is evidence that we have a good root and that we have been saved. So I don't want us to think that this is salvation by works. It certainly isn't. Uh, but if we don't produce good fruit, then that's evidence that we've not been saved, that we are not the good tree, and that we will be thrown into the fire because the tree itself is bad. Now, Jesus told the parable of the sower in Matthew chapter 13. You remember that, where the sower sowed seeds in four different kinds of soil, and uh, three kinds of soil were unproductive, right? The rocky soil and the soil that was among the thorns and the uh, soil that was by the side of the road. All of that was unproductive seed because it was planted in unproductive soil. Uh, but the good soil was the man who hears the word and he understands it and it, he allows it to take root in his heart. And that man was able to bear fruit a hundred times, 60 times, 30 times. He's able to bear good fruit. So the words and the works of a true prophet will eventually reveal his true character. And so if we're good trees, we'll bear good fruit. Uh, and if we're bad trees, we're going to bear bad fruit and we're going to be thrown into the fire. Now, the fire, obviously, is a metaphor, uh, self-evident, for hell, right? And the reason that Jesus talked so much about hell was that he doesn't want us to go there. But I am so thankful that God is so patient with us. I love this parable that Jesus told in Luke chapter 13. A man had a fig tree which had been planted in his vineyard, and he came looking for fruit on it and did not find any. And he said to the vineyard keeper, Behold, for three years I have come looking for fruit on this fig tree without finding any. Cut it down. Why does it even use up the ground? 
And he answered and said to him, let it alone, sir, for this year too, until I dig around it and put in fertilizer. And if it bears fruit next year, fine. But if not, cut it down. So I'm just really grateful that God is so patient. Uh, How many of you are really glad that Jesus didn't come 20 years ago or 30 years ago or 40 years ago? I think all hands would be up just about. I know I am. Uh, He's just incredibly patient with us, and I thank God for that. Uh, He's gracious, loving, and merciful. He's patient, not wanting anyone to perish. Uh, But we have to be careful to avoid being duped by these false prophets. So uh, let's uh, give ourselves a couple of applications so we can figure out how it is that we can avoid being duped by them. And the best way, of course, is to know the word of God, right? The best way to recognize a counterfeit is to know the original. We know that. So the better we know the original, the less likely we will be able to be duped by a counterfeit. Uh, Many false prophets will come and say, just like uh, Satan said to Adam and Eve, did God really say? And he took that little question and turned this truth that God had said, and he turned it one degree and uh, got Adam and Eve off on a path toward believing that God didn't want the best for them and uh, wanted them to, he wanted to withhold uh, knowing God from them. And uh, Satan can do that. So we have to know the word so we can recognize the counterfeit. And I think about all the people in America who spend a time and, and throw their money at televangelists who promise this and that to them. Uh, if they'll only have enough faith to write a big check, right? These are false prophets uh, who are promising healing or promising whatever else that they're promising if they'll only have enough faith to write the check. And I think about all the cults that have ever been in the world who have been led by people who want money or power or fame or whatever it is that they want, uh, and they have led people to destruction because those people were completely vulnerable because they did not know the word of God for themselves. So you have to know the word of God to be able to recognize the counterfeit. The second thing is this, uh, follow Jesus's example. You know, while the scribes and Pharisees were were busy getting rich and receiving praise and glory and honor from men, uh, pretending to be godly people, Jesus was actually living a godly life, a life that he wants us to live. So uh, he says, do what the scribes and Pharisees say, but don't do what they do because they are hypocrites. They always manage to find the easy way out, uh, lowering God's standards and reducing God's holiness and righteousness. But Jesus did the opposite. He always demonstrated what it likes, what it looks like to live like a Christian. And he said, this is going to be hard, but the rewards are eternal. So follow Jesus's example. And then finally, examine your own life for good fruit. Uh, earlier in the chapter, Jesus warned us uh, to judge ourselves first. Remember that? He said, don't go trying to pull the beam out of your brother's eye until you first removed the speck from your own eye. So uh, let's not be the kind of people who are going around, you know, looking for, I don't see fruit, I don't see fruit, right? Let's look at ourselves first. Let's be sure we're producing our own fruit uh, before we go inspecting other people's fruits. Uh, So are we bearing fruit? Are we telling other people about the gospel of Jesus Christ? Are we inviting them to church? Are we doing things that Jesus asked us to do in the Sermon on the Mount that models what his life looked like? Uh, If we do, then we are bearing good fruit. 
Molly and I went to Ham's Orchards a couple months ago. That uh, was our first time there. Uh, and we bought this gigantic bushel of peaches. And I thought, there's no way we're going to be able to eat all these peaches. Uh, there's a lot of peaches here. Uh, but they were so good. Uh, I really didn't expect them to be much different than the peaches that you buy at Kroger. But man, you bite into one of these peaches, and the juice drips down your arm and down your chin. And they are so good. Uh, and so we have went through them pretty quickly. Uh, and now we're making smoothies in our house out of frozen peaches that you buy at Walmart. And I'll tell you, it is not the same. Uh, those hams trees, uh, they are good trees and they are bearing good fruit. And we cannot wait for peach season to come again so we can run back there and get ourselves some more peaches. So uh, good fruit satisfies our souls. So we need to know the word of God. We need to follow Jesus' example and we need to examine our lives for good fruit. Uh, a tree is known by its good fruit. So uh, you just pray that that will be so in our lives. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you for this passage. It, it really gives us strong warnings because we need to know that there are false preachers out there. They existed in Jesus' day and Paul warned about them over and over again. And Lord, the truth is every bit as applicable today as it was then. Lord, help us to stay on the narrow path uh, that leads to life and not to be uh, coerced by false teaching, uh, duped into getting on the broad road that leads to destruction. Lord, I thank you for uh, the beauty and the simplicity of Jesus' teaching and his metaphors that show us so clearly uh, that these things exist. And, and Lord, we just ask that you would protect us and keep us. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.